0: You're listening to the Life Church Livonia podcast, a show where you can hear the teachings from our weekend gatherings. You can catch the full service on our Facebook or YouTube, and head over to our website if you'd like to give. Here we're real people following a real God and experiencing real life. Welcome to Life Church Livonia. Hey, Life Church Livonia! I am back, and you'll notice a couple things have changed. Most of all, my daughter Sophia. It is her first time here uh, at Life Church Livonia, and today is trunk or treat, hence my hat and uh, my really, really good costume. Uh, Sophie makes a lot of noise in her sleep, so she may be giving some grunts and groans throughout the sermon. We may have to make a sweet Hollywood cut in order to accommodate some of those, Um, but... uh... Uh, she's a big sleep talker and thankfully she's asleep right now but I'm a big sleep talker too I think she might get that from me actually our first night in the hospital Amber said there was a moment where I was talking in my sleep and Sophia was talking in her sleep like I said I'm a big sleep talker Amber my wife has told me I talk in my sleep I laugh in my sleep she says I even sing in my sleep sometimes so uh It's definitely genetic on my side. (laughs) And the first night was fun to see what parts of us were already coming out. And this little baby girl. I know, it's okay. Yeah, you grunty groany. Okay. You know, the first night we had her was actually really, really scary. And I'm going to get back to that in a second. I want you to put a pin in it and then we'll go, why was it scary, Alex? Because I'm going to come back to that. But, you know, as a parent, I thought parental love was a gift that I was going to give to Sophia, Uh, but I remember driving to get something for Amber and Sophie the first day we had her. I was driving home from the hospital for the first time, and it just dawned on me that parental love is really a gift that she's given me. It is just a joy. It's a gift to be her dad. It's a gift to uh, to know her mm -hmm, and to love her. The first time I saw her, I thought, man, I would do anything for you. I would do anything for your flourishing. I would do anything to protect you, to guide you, to sacrifice for you. I would easily sacrifice myself for you. And uh, one of the things I I began to daydream about as we brought her home from the hospital uh, were all the questions that she was going to ask me. Like I said, I'm a talker and I can already tell she's a talker too. And I know she's going to ask me questions like, Daddy, why is the sky blue? And, Daddy, why is the grass green? And, how come the car moves forward? And, Daddy, why is the fridge cold? And, how do the seasons change? And then she's gonna get a little older and ask me questions like, Daddy, can I go over to my friend's house for that sleepover? Daddy, can I get this for my birthday? Daddy, uh, can I go see that movie with you? And then she's gonna get a little bit older, maybe into late middle school, early high school, and start asking even harder questions. Like, Daddy, what's the meaning of life? Daddy, what's my purpose here? Daddy, why am I here, and what do I do with this thing that I have called life?" These are deeply human questions, and being a parent has just brought me back to them again, uh, really with a fresh perspective. And I remember wrestling through these questions on my own in high school, and wondering what direction to point myself for the years to come in my life. And I watched as my friends and I, who we, as we grew up together, we chose different answers. Some of my friends decided that life is about hedonism, meaning that they're here to maximize pleasure and minimize pain. They're here to make money, to have as much sex as they can have, to freely use any drug that would give them a pleasurable experience, and to chase any and every desire of their heart. See, in hedonism, goodness is defined by what feels good, and badness is defined by what feels bad. I had other friends that said, no, that's not what life's about. Life's actually about nihilism. Nothing matters, there's no right, there's no wrong. It's all socially imposed, socially constructed by tradition, by religion, by culture, but in reality, life has no meaning, so do whatever you want. You live, you die, that's it. Not a very encouraging perspective on life. I had other friends who were Hindu, or Buddhist, or Sikh, or Jainists, and they believed that individuality itself was an illusion that we're all part of the great universal one, in some sense, and that we might call that one God. And that human ills come from trying to be an individual instead of letting go of ourselves to become part of this great oneness that is the universe. In this worldview, life is reincarnational, meaning we'll live as many different lives as it takes for us to become enlightened and unite with that great oneness. In recent years, there's been a lot of talk about the possibility that life is a simulation. It's been very popular to talk about on podcasts like Joe Rogan and Lex Friedman. It's also the core worldview behind popular movies like The Matrix, and it's the primary question in the movie Inception, which I love, by the way, Leo DiCaprio, Mmm, so good. But whatever our answers are to that question of life is, however we fill in that blank, it just determines everything. It, It directs every single part of our lives. It determines who we marry. It determines if we marry. It determines if we stay faithful in our marriages. It determines how we navigate that fight with our spouse. It determines what kind of jobs we take and what kind of jobs we don't. It determines where we go to school, how we spend our money, how we spend our time, what stresses us out, what relaxes us, what we decide to work for, what we decide to sacrifice to, how we determine what's good or bad, how we know what's right and wrong. It's, it determines how we see pleasure and what we experience as pain. It helps us decide what's worth giving this life that we have to or not. So whether you're here this morning, just out of curiosity, tuning in for the first time, you're here because your mom or dad made you come, or like little baby Sophia, you're strapped to their chest, (laughs) or you're here because you're a follower of Jesus, each of us are constantly contending with the answer to this question, what is life all about? As for my answer, I believe in the God of the Bible. And I believe that his answer to that question is what is ultimately true and real about reality and about life. And the Bible speaks very directly to this question of what life is all about. And it answers that question through narratives, through poetry, through history, through axioms, through speeches, through letters. And today we're going to look at one particular narrative that the Bible uses to answer this question. In in this particular case, it's a story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. This is a story about a father and his two sons. But it's not just about the father and his sons. It's also about the nature of life itself. So we're going to read this whole thing together and then we're going to break it into stages to understand what Jesus is saying and what he's inviting us to do about his answer to this question, life is. It's a little long, but I'm confident you can make it through with me. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he would spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, what's going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So in this story, there are a couple primary characters and a couple primary settings. This is not a story that's historically happened, but Jesus is saying this story is a parable to help us understand something both about God and about us and really about the nature of life and reality. So our three characters, primary characters in this story, are the younger son, the older son, and the father. And each of these characters is kind of associated with a different setting, aren't they? We find the younger son, uh, he's kind of dealing in one arena of life. There's the older son, he's in another, and and then we have the father, and, and he's in this kind of third arena of life. See, the younger son is in the arena of life of blessings. His whole story revolves around the blessings of life. Right? This is what the younger son's story is about. He's spending his life and his relationships chasing the pleasures and gifts of life. He's chasing things like fun, like sex, like food, like friends. However, he mishandles these things, and it ends poorly for him. And more on that in a second. The next arena the story addresses is the work of life. This is what the older son's story revolves around. He doesn't go off chasing pleasure. Instead, he's very dutiful, he's responsible, he's loyal, he's purposeful, and his story revolves around the things that there are in the world to accomplish and do. These these things in life that that are about working for a greater purpose. He's spending his life on that purpose, on success, on accomplishment, However, there's a problem in his story as well, and things may or may not end well for him. We'll see, and more on that in a moment as well. And lastly, the third arena that we see these characters interacting in is this arena of the home life. This is where the father interacts with both of his sons and where he's trying to get both of his sons to come back to. The home represents the place where the sons were made and where the sons were made to belong. So in this parable... Jesus lays out these three characters, each interacting in one of these three primary arenas of life that are inherent and integral to the human experience. See, every single person wants to experience life's blessings. Every single person wants a work that is bigger than themselves and is worth doing. And every single person wants to have a home where they belong. This is just part of the human experience. But in the parable, Jesus lays out a problem with the characters in these arenas. The sons are lost. The sons are lost. One is lost in the blessings of life. We find him in the first sentence of his passage. This, the passage doing this. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. So let me clarify something here. The younger son just asked for his inheritance, the inheritance he'd get when his dad dies. But the deal is his father isn't dead, his father's alive. So the story begins with the younger son effectively saying to his dad, I don't wanna be here anymore, I don't wanna live under your authority anymore, and you know what, furthermore, I wish you were dead and you'd just give me the money that I'm gonna get when you die. Whoa, that is some start to the story. Why would the younger son say this? I think it's because he wants to do what he wants, when he wants it, without any oversight, any responsibility, or any need for permission, so there's no one to say no. Let me clarify something here too. The father wants to give his son the inheritance. That's why it's his inheritance. But the father has a specific way and time he wants to give the son that inheritance. But the son wants it his way and in his time. And so he chases the blessings of life, the riches of life, so literally, at the cost of relationship with his father. And what ends up happening is he misuses those gifts and blessings and it destroys his life. He's literally using the gifts and blessings of the father, but without the father's presence and outside the father's design. And the result of this is that he has as much pleasure as he can handle, and then he crashes. This is what it says in the scripture. It says, after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So the younger son chases these pleasures, he chases these blessings. And he does it in his own way, and the result is that he ends more empty than when he started. He ends up living in the muck like an animal among animals. And some of us here this morning, we know exactly what that means. We know exactly what that feels like. We've chased things that promised us fulfillment, that promised us pleasure, that promised us joy, and we did it our way, and we didn't do it God's way. And we know what it means to feel empty in the gutter of life. For some of us, that's been alcohol. For others, it's been drugs. For others, it's been pornography. For others, it's been sex. For others, it's been an abuse or overuse of even a really good thing, right? Like like food. And most of those things aren't even inherently bad. They're just misused, right? They're in the wrong place at the wrong time and not in God's way. And I don't know if you've ever been here, but you can find yourself in this place where you go, man, something's missing this time. But next time I do it, then it'll feel full. Then I'll feel like, like I'm whole again. Then I'll feel like life is good again. Then I'll feel safe again. Then I'll feel oh, that sense of fulfillment I've been chasing. But if you've been chasing it, you know it never comes, does it? And now this isn't just a dig on the younger son, right? This is a temptation that all of us face at some point in our lives. We want to use the gifts, the blessings, the pleasures, the goodness of life without oversight, without responsibility, without anyone to tell us no. We want God's gifts, but we want them our way and in our timing. And Jesus shows us that when we use God's gifts in our own way, in our own timing, it leaves us lost. And it often leaves us living like an animal instead of a child in the Father's house. When we misuse God's gifts, it actually dehumanizes us, not makes us full. But the younger son doesn't stay in the gutter. He realizes this is not worth it. And even if I'm a slave back at my dad's house, at least I won't be hungry. And so he goes home. And this is what happens. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. This is what the Bible calls repentance. And I I love what Bishop Callistos, Ware, in his book, The Orthodox Way, says about this exact moment in the story and says about repentance in general. He says this, to repent is to wake up. Repentance is the recentering of our whole life on God. When the prodigal son repented, it is said that he came to himself. He is like one who awakens from drunkenness, returning to himself, who does not daydream, drifting aimlessly under the influence of passing impulses, but who possesses a sense of direction and purpose. It, repentance, is not to look backward with regret, but forward with hope, not downwards at our shortcomings, but upwards at God's love. While this younger son was still a long way off, the father sees him. What does that mean? It means the Father was looking for him. It means the Father was looking for him. And the Father runs towards him. For every one step the Son took, the Father took ten, because while the Son was walking, the Father was running. And Jesus says this to show us what God is like. When we walk away, when we sin, when we end up in the gutter, God is looking and longing. He is waiting for us to repent and return home so that he can run towards us, embrace us, kiss us, and welcome us back to the place that we belong. And this is a wonderful moment in the story, but the family is not quite whole yet. There's still a problem. And that problem happens in this arena of the work of life as the story turns to the older son. And this is what the scripture has to say about that. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has not back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The older brother is such a stark contrast to the younger brother. He didn't leave home. He doesn't misuse the Father's blessings. He's been devoted and he's been devoted to the Father's work. The Father has a purpose for his sons and his son dove into that purpose. He understands that an important part of life is that every single one of us has a work to do. You were made on purpose for a purpose. And there are things to accomplish in this world that matter, that give shape to our lives that have been prepared for us by the Father who is God. And the older son is devoted to this work. He's devoted to the work of the father, but he resents the heart of the father. And he's clearly distant from it. He describes working for the father like slavery. His words. The grace of the father feels so unfair to the older son that he receives it as a betrayal. And when the story ends, the younger son is in the home. Enjoying his renewed relationship with his father. But the question hangs in the air. Will the older son come inside or will he be so bitter he stays in the fields? Listen, you were made on purpose and you were made for a purpose. Like the older son, you have a work to do that God has prepared for your life. And even before sin broke the world, God gave human beings purpose and work to do. It's in our nature to look for something bigger than ourselves to invest in and work in and contribute to. It's why people, when we retire, we often struggle with a sense of purposelessness. We were made to work. But in this passage, we see this, the older son falling into another kind of human temptation. He's trying to do the father's work without the father. The younger son was trying to experience the father's gifts and blessings without the father. And the older son is now trying to do the father's work without the father. He's doing good things. But he doesn't have intimacy with the giver of the work, just with the work itself. And you know what's happened to him? It sucked the joy out of it. The work doesn't feel like purpose to the older son. It feels like oppression. He describes it as slaving away. There is so much work to do in our very broken world, friends. So much to fix, so much to address. So much to build, so much to change, so much to improve. And when we try and take on that work without the father, it does not feel like a gift. It feels impossible. It feels defeating, it feels overwhelming, and it feels oppressive. The flocks the older son is tending, guess whose flocks they are? They're not his. They're the father's. And the the work of life belongs to the Father. It's His work. It's not our work. He just invites us to help Him with it. Because He doesn't want us to do the work for Him. He wants us to do the work with Him. That's the invitation. And Jesus shows us that even though the older son still talks to the Father, he too is lost. Which begs the question, lost from where? Where are these sons, if they're lost, where are they lost from? Life is full of gifts and blessings to enjoy. Life has a work to do, but you and I were also made for a place to belong. And that place is the Father's house. You and I were made to know God. His house is where we belong. It's the Father's heart. It's his desire and mission to have all his children back at home with him. Not lost in his blessings, not lost in his work, and it's why the father pursues both sons. When the younger son turns and starts coming home, the father pursues him and runs after him. When the older son won't come inside, the father goes outside so that he can talk with his son and bring him back home. Why would he do this? Because he's a good dad. And he wants his sons to flourish in life just like every parent. And, and recently, I understood this on a whole new level. Like I told you at the beginning, uh, that the first night we had Sophie was super scary for me super scary it was an amazing moment to watch her come out of amber and and just the the awe of it and to hear her voice for the first time and to see her begin to just acclimate to being in the world and uh, it was amazing but uh, in the post-op room after we had the baby uh, she failed her blood glucose test real hard like they couldn't even read her blood sugar it was so low Uh, which is bad (laughs) not good and they said okay well we got to get food in her right away here's what we're gonna do and uh, over the next several hours we tried to just give Sophia enough food that she her blood glucose would rise and she'd be able to normalize and it was just like a yo-yo it was up and down and up and down and at one point it was maybe I don't know one in the morning uh, the nurse said hey listen if she fails this two more times in a row we're gonna to have to do something else. We're gonna to have to put her on an IV or something because this is not good and we need to stabilize her. And I said, totally get it. I want that too, you know, I want what's best for my kid. Um, But it was this wild kind of carousel of activity, being in the hospital. You know, a doctor would come in and talk to Amber and I and explain something. And then I'd sit down for 20 minutes and then Amber would need something and I'd get up and help Amber with something and I'd sit down for 20 minutes and then Sophia would wake up and it would be time to feed her and I'd be doing that or change her. And I'd sit down for 20 minutes and then another doctor would come in and so it was just this like, I was like eating, sleeping and sitting in like 20 to 30 minute shifts for like two days. And so about 3 a.m. I just pass out super hard, and I wake up um, not long after, and and Sophia was gone, and I just straight up had a panic attack. Like, I started like (sighs) And in my mind, I'm like, dude, it's cool. It's totally okay. The doctors are here. The nurses are here. She probably failed another test. You just weren't awake for it, but I, I was trying to talk myself through it, but I was so overcome with deep anxiety I started to cry and I was ready to fight the next person that walked into that room I was about to punch a nurse <laughs> You know, I was like so intense and I just could not talk myself down from that and it, it hit me that's what it feels like to lose a kid and that's how God feels that's how God feels and in that moment I would have gone, I mean, I'd have hit a nurse for sure. I was so glad one didn't come in. Where'd you, bah, you know? And I was so on edge because my kid was gone. And in this story, Jesus shows us that that's kind of what's happening in life that you and I were lost, and our dad will do anything to get us back. And in that moment, Jesus made all the sense in the world to me. I was like, oh my gosh, when God lost his kids, it wasn't even a question of if Jesus will go, the question was when and how soon. Because it just, I I would have done anything to get my kid back in that moment and know she was okay. And I realized that that's from God. And that's how God feels about you and me. You see, at the beginning of all creation, we sinned. We broke relationship with God and walked away from him. And that made us lost, just like the sons in this story. And God sent Jesus to get us back because he's a good dad and he's not gonna let his kids stay lost. He's gonna chase them. And so Jesus came from heaven to earth and he died on the cross, putting all of our sin to death with it so there would be nothing to separate us from God anymore. And he rose from the dead to give us a new kind of life, one where we could engage with the work of life, with the blessings of life, and be in the home where we were made to belong. And this is what we call the gospel. And this is Jesus' answer to the question life is. What is life all about? Life is all about being at home with the Father and getting to do life, the work and the gifts of life with Him. But unfortunately, through sin, the humans, human beings are lost. We cut ourselves off from God and God will do anything to get us back. And so let me ask you, where are you this morning? Where are you this morning? Are you lost in the blessings of life? Are you lost in the work of life? Are you at home with the Father and you're struggling with something? Where are you at this morning? And where might be God calling you to come home? Because I experienced in a whole new way it's not just that he wants you to come home, he's desperate for it. You were made to be with him, not made to be apart. And if there's something separating you from God today, I wanna to give us a chance right now to repent of that. And so I just wanna invite you to close your eyes with me and open your hands with me and just go. And if, as I ask you the question, what's something that's separating you from God What comes to mind? Is it a relationship? Is it a thing, a hobby, an activity? Is it a way you release stress and find pleasure? Is it duty and bitterness and frustration? Is it a sense that even though you're trying to do life God's way, it's still so hard? What is it that might be separating you from God? And I just want to invite you right now to surrender that. I go, you know what, Lord? This is leading me away from you. And I'm going to turn and head home now. I just want, to ima- I want you to imagine just releasing that, opening your hands and releasing that to God. And I want you to pray with me. Father, I just ask that you, right now, would take this from me. And that, Lord, you would show me what in my heart needs to change so I don't run back to it. Lord, I pray that the vacancy this leaves, you would fill with your Holy Spirit. And that, Lord, I might find myself wrapped in your arms. I might find myself not as lost, but as found. In the place where I belong, able to engage with all that's good about life, and all the work there is to do in this very broken world, but from a place of centeredness in you, knowing that they are your blessings that you will give me in your time, and that they are your gifts in your work that you are inviting me to do with you, not for you. Lord, I just surrender now. I just pray, Lord, that you would give me a new beginning through Jesus again. In Jesus' name, amen. If you just prayed with me, I want to invite you to reach out to us because we want to help you walk with Jesus. You are made to belong in the house of God. And Jesus' answer to this question, life is, is that life is about knowing God. Being home in the place where you belong. I can't wait to see you next week. If you missed Trunk or Treat this year, so sad. Hopefully you come next year. And next week we're going to talk about... uh, that Life is about growing into a mature adult, like the Father in heaven is an adult, and I cannot wait to see you for that. God bless.